Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to this special Five Star Wines and Wine Without Walls series on wine, food and travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. For the next weeks, we will be focusing on a dozen trophy-winning wineries from the competitions that took place in Verona at the start of Vinitali in early April. The winning wines are without doubt some of the very best that Italy has to offer. What I'm most interested in discovering are the stories behind the bottles, learning about the wines and themselves, of course, and also about the people who make them, where they're from, what they eat, how they live. It's a fascinating journey that will take us all across Italy, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to shine a spotlight on the Terre Cortesi Moncaro Winery in Le Marche, which has just won two very important awards at the prestigious Five Star Wines event that took place in April, just prior to Vinitali 2022. My guest today is Luigi Gagliardini, Director of Sales and Marketing at this important Marchigiana winery. Congratulations, Luigi. Terre Cortese Moncaro was awarded not only Winery of the Year, but also Best White Wine, a fantastic achievement. Thank you so much. It's uh, hello everybody. It's been great to achieve these awards at such an important uh, competition. So we are delighted to be part of this adventure together with you guys. Great. Well, the aim of our conversation today is really to to give you an opportunity to tell something of the story behind the bottle. So first of all, can you please tell us where you are and describe the countryside so that our our listeners can gain a vivid picture of the beautiful Le Marque countryside. All right. Okay. You're giving me a very hard task because putting into words the beauty of a landscape and of the nature and on the philosophy of the wine is the job of the poets. And I'm not a poet, obviously, but uh, I will try my best. Okay. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I'd, I'd like to introduce Moncaro, first of all, because uh, it's important to note that uh, uh, we are a cob. We are a cooperative. So we are not a privately owned company. We are uh, an ensemble of uh, farmers which come from the area and which was founded in 1964 here in uh, Monte Carotto. Monte Carotto is one of the castles uh, around the city of Yesi. And uh, what that gives the name to the famous appellation, the Verdicchio dei Castelli di Yesi, DOC. Castelli di Yesi, it means in English it's castles of Yesi. So all the castles around the main city of Yesi. Monte Carotto, where Moncaro is located, is one of those castles. It's a little town on the top of a hill. Uh, which was once an old medieval castle, which became a little small town. We, there are like 2,000 people living there, and there are 20, 25 of these little towns around the area, and it's, uh, you know, all these uh, 
hilly side kind of area with uh, um, vineyards around, uh, as well as other kind of cultivations. And uh, well, it's a beautiful landscape which goes from the sea towards the mountains, uh, the Apennines. And so it's very gentle coming from the ground, from the sea towards the mountain. And we are just in the middle on the hilly sides. Well, actually, that's a really good, uh, vivid image. These beautiful rolling hills topped by the Castelli di Esi, and then the proximity of the Adriatic Sea and the high mountains of the Apennines, the Apennini. So we've got a Really um, beautiful. And also an important thing you mentioned, Luigi, it's not intensive monoculture in Le Marche, is it? You have this beautiful patchwork of, of some vines, some fields of wheat, some, some sunflowers, uh, just a, a beautiful mix of countryside. Actually, I can't uh, say exactly the historical where this comes from, but we've been, you know, this was a Vatican state back in the days, back in the centuries, actually. And uh, it's been a very, um, uh, how do you say, uh, lots of cultivations, lots of different cultivations and the very agricultural roots in this area. Uh, much different as compared, for example, to Tuscany, where you have much less cultivation, more forest and more villas of, you know, basically the rich people who are doing trade in Tuscany probably we're taking the foods from here, where we were all farmers uh, making food for them, in yeah. simple words. But I'm not sure how historically <laughs> correct is this view, but uh, I, I think I'm pretty close to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess you're talking about the time when the Mezzadria was still in force and people cultivated a bit of everything because they were had their own self-sufficient small holdings. Exactly, and that's been... Uh, until very recently, and that's one of the reasons uh, why there are so many co-ops in Italy. In our case, uh, the emancipation of the farmers from the Mezzadria law was, you know, uh, coming. Uh, I mean, the co-op is the reason why uh, they tried to emancipate from the Mezzadria law, where you had to basically give away half of the cultivation to the landowner. And most of the times was, was much more than the half of it. So in order to be more self-sufficient, people started to gather together, get together, and decided to uh, do their own company for selling their own products and being more self-sufficient and, you know, uh, living a more, uh, a better life, basically. And actually the government and the region had helped the farmers in achieving such great objective for their life. And the co-op has been a very important part of this. And uh, since the very beginning, the main uh, objective of the co-op has been to be socially, I mean, today we, everybody uses this word, you know, sustainability, to be sustainable. Everybody's saying this, but uh, the co-op, the sustainability in terms of economics, social, in terms of life in general has been the main objective since its foundation. So giving a better life to the farmers until today where we are, you know, a competitive company in the global markets, but still the main foundation is sustainability of the of the life of the people. Okay. So the, um, the small farmers who wouldn't have otherwise been able to produce wines on the scale we're talking about the quality as well. Uh, the co-op, the cooperative ideal of banding together uh, to produce something collectively 
is very, very important. Italy is actually a very cooperative nation as a whole with um, this philosophy. Uh, so that is uh, a, a very, very important. How many Sochi do you have? How many cooperative members who are growing grapes? In general, I have to say, in Italy, um, we have uh, almost 60% of the total wine is made by co-ops in Italy. In our case, uh, we have about 800 members and the total of 1,200 hectares uh, in three main areas because we do have three different wine cellars where we produce the wines. So one is here in Monte Carotto, which is the main uh, headquarters and the main uh, main cellar, as well as another one in Camerano, which is by the sea. It's just below, I, I mean, at the bottom of the Conero Mountain, which is this nice a looking promontory which goes on the Adriatic Sea. And then the third winery is in uh, Acquaviva Picena. It's near Ascoli Piceno. Uh, so those uh, 1,200 hectares are uh, in, in those three main areas and allow us to produce all the appellation uh, from the region. Let me tell you, if I may, that I'm so proud to be also a member of the co-op myself with the small vineyard of Verdicchia, which is here. Yeah, in Monte Carotto. So, I mean, working for a cop as to, you know, you must have a little bit more motivation, which goes beyond the economic, uh, how would I say, recognition of your work. It's a little bit more of being, you know, it might sound a little bit rhetoric to say, but it's you're really part of a big family and you're doing the good of the farmer. So that's the main objective of the co-op. Yeah, I can really understand that. And and what's so gratifying, I'm sure, is that through these cooperative values and through um, the work of the farmers, you've been able to achieve this Winer of the Year Award, but also White Wine of the Year for the Verdicchio de Castellidiesi of Fondilier. Tell us about this wine, this award-winning wine, this expression of Verdicchio, which I think Verdicchio is one of Italy's and the world's great uh, white grape varieties, and uh, yet it's only found in Le Marche. Exactly, it is. And they have tried to cultivate the grape in other areas, in other regions, but uh, with very poor success, I have to say. So it's really a grape which is rooted here since, since many, many centuries. And it's fair to say that it's the most flexible kind of grape in Italy, because you can do all kinds of wines very successfully with this grape, from very fresh aromatic wines to more mature, to uh, sparkling wines. There's a very um, strong tradition of sparkling winemaking here with Verdicchio grapes, to as well uh, sweet wines. You know, we had made a wine which was chosen a few years back to be drunken at the Nobel Prize dinner in Stockholm. You know, they have this gathering of 4,500 VIPs, let's say, and they had to choose a sweet wine from all the wines proposed from all over the globe, and they had chosen a Verdicchio, our Verdicchio. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, they, you can do all kinds of wines with Verdicchio. It's a very well-structured grapes, as they say, with big shoulders, and it, it can do, you know, pretty much anything. And it also has a great aromas uh, if you treat it in a certain way. So getting back to Fondilje, uh, the wine which got this very nice award. Fondilje is the name of an area here. So it's kind of a crew, basically. And it's an area in the town of Rosora, 
which is one of the of the castles of Yezi, and uh, it's pretty high. Uh, the hill is uh, it's about uh, 350 meters on the sea level. That allows grapes to get lots uh, of acidity and lots of structure, yet with the great uh, primary aromas of the verdicchio. So I think in this wine, we were able to uh, make a product which was on one hand very structured, very persistent, and on the other, at the same time, uh, very aromatic. So a wine which could sustain any kind of uh, pairing and uh, but as well which you could drink without eating anything because it's just like uh, by the swimming pool kind of wine as well so and i and i how would i say uh, eclectic kind of wine and uh, yet very elegant and persistent and mature so fondilla is this small area uh, which uh, we have been cultivating since since ever, and then and um, and we have on the label the design of a bee uh, picking up on a flower because uh, on 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 the vineyards there's an old farmer house, and the old farmer which was running the vineyard had written a, a poem on the on the wall of the of the house, and it's the poem is an old Trilusa poem about a bee which goes and pick flower by flower and the poem goes something like you know life is you know happiness is a small thing like a bee that just picked the flower and goes oh that's lovely that's lovely and um a very good description of of this well-structured verdicchio because i think a lot of people also may know verdicchio in the lighter style the lighter style traditionally and historically you know we had the the amphora bottle um, that would be in Trattoria in London or New York or anywhere in the world, bringing Verdicchio's name to the fore, but not necessarily in that serious, full-structured style of wine. Those lighter wines that are very nice still to enjoy by the coast, perhaps with the seafood. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Sure, I mean, uh, it's just it just depends on how you want to make the wine. As I said, the, the verdicchio is very flexible, so you can have it as a lighter style for just, you know, a hot sunny day in the summer by the sea uh, with some fish, or you can have a more mature kind of uh, a fireplace, uh, meaty evening uh, while you, you taste the Fiorentina. So it's, uh, it's very flexible. I think that's the power of the wine. Of course, there is this uh, kind of uh, fame of the wine, uh, of the amphora bottle, uh, which is paired to this kind of a little bit more light and uh, cheap kind of wine. But uh, that comes from the 70s when it started to be a global success. But yeah, I think it's uh, changing very much now, the perception of the wine, because, you know, and this award is, <laughs> I mean, the proof uh, of that. So I think we'd be very happy about this. And uh, and yeah, well, I think uh, that it can just get better and better. And I hope that this will help people 
push the people to come and visit our area because it's beautiful so that people will fall in love even more and then buying more again and you know in this virtuous kind of circle of happiness well i think uh, i think you're right and i think it will um the le market is still very undiscovered in many ways not by british people actually <laughs> you know very often you have these articles on the magazine from england they know about uh, recently also the guardian i think wrote about the gonorrhea or even about Urbino, actually. So it's uh, well known in, in your country, but uh, but yeah, well, still very authentic and not crowded as that can manage. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you mentioned two other estates, centers of production in uh, in the Conero and in the area of Ascoli Piceno, producing two notably two red wines that are quite different, but from similar grape varieties. Can you tell us a little bit about Rosso Conero and Rosso Piceno? All right, I will. Yeah, for uh, a listener who's not uh, familiar with, Ita- with Italian grape varieties, it might be a little bit confusing, but uh, we'll try to explain because um, Rosso Conero is an appellation that takes the name by this beautiful mountain over the Adriatic Sea, uh, which is called Conero. Uh, but uh, the wine is made with Montepulciano grapes, not to be confused with Montepulciano d'Abruzzo di Ossia Appellation or with Montepulciano, the town in Tuscany, where they use Sangiovese grape varietals. So this is Rosso Conero. It's a, uh, Conero is a mountain and the grape varietal is Montepulciano. And it's actually the most northern part where the Montepulciano grapes grow. So it's always, uh, you know, at the border... Uh, of the uh, of the area of cultivation of the grapes, so it's also the most challenging and possibly also the area where you can get the best results as well. Maybe uh, I wouldn't have to say it myself, but you know when you have greatest challenges, you have also possibly greatest results. So <laughs> the area is very particular because it's very near to the sea. So it gets these breezes, but at the same time, it's protected by the Conero Mountain. So it gets the minerality of the sea and the maturation of the uh, given by the sun. And together you get very uh, fully flavored grape, which needs lots of care for becoming a very high-end kind of uh, red wine. On the other hand, in Ascoli Piceno, uh, not only you have Montepulciano grapes, but also you have Sangiovese grapes. And uh, the mix of the two give birth to the appellation called Rosso Piceno, Diossi, so which, have this, which has this little different hint from the Rosso Conero given by the Sangiovese grapes. It's a little bit more pruned kind of wine, uh, so it can be uh, also an easier wine. It depends in this case on how you, what kind of results you want to achieve. You can have a little bit more kind of easier red wine or as well a very high-end, complex, uh, and mature and fully-flavored red wine. So you have more flexibility, but at the same time, maybe even more complexity in the high-end wines. So you have two different areas and two different results, but both are great uh, areas for the cultivation of these uh, grapes, which are very peculiar for these areas of Italy because uh, Sangiovese is in a central area and Montepulciano is more on the coasts, on the Adriatic coast. Well, it's um, these are 
wonderful expressions of the, of the grape varieties, but you've also talked about uh, the geography of Le Marque and this mix of sea and hills and mountains. And the wines are a reflection of that and also the gastronomy. I love the fact that in Le Marque you can enjoy really wonderful, fabulous feasts of seafood, the Brodetto, for example, or uh, going into the mountains and having a more robust cuisine and foods that really match well with these wines. Tell us a little bit about what you, as somebody from Le Marque, um, likes to eat. What are some of the typical foods that are so important? Um, let me tell you that here in Marque, there is a very, very I mean, I'm from here, so sorry to say that, but, you know, I have to tell my own territory. <laughs> you know, uh, I have to really say that the gastronomy is very good. It's very authentic and it's very cheap as well uh, because uh, you get to uh, eat often in these small uh, restaurants where there are still, you know, old, actually, women cooking. And uh, it's very traditional and it, it's very authentic and it's very tasty. But on the other hand, you know that in Senigallia, uh, which is on the coast, in the ray of, I think, one or two kilometers, we have two Michelin star restaurants. There we have one three star, three Michelin star restaurant and another two star Michelin uh, restaurant. So uh, you do have the high end restaurants, um, how do you say, the two, the very high end, as well as the, you know, more authentic down to hurt cuisine. Uh, so, uh, and it's very, it varies a lot because as you said, you have fish, you have meat, because it depends on where, on where you are by the sea. Uh, you have wonderful uh, dishes uh, with, uh, for example, as you mentioned, Brodetto and on the hilly side, you more have like uh, pork uh, as well as um uh, as well as uh, cow meats, as well as, you know, even uh, they people do, it's very typical to have small animal that jump, the rabbits. So. Oh, conilio, conilio in porchetta, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's very, very typical uh, to make conilio in, por in porchetta. So, uh, Describe that for us and so people can get a flavor of this wonderful dish. That comes from, you know, uh, porchetta is basically pork with fennage and uh, a bunch of other stuff that you, you stuff the pork with and then you cook in the oven. We do that kind of recipe, but with the rabbit. And as in any other region, uh, those kind of meal and dishes come from the need of being able to have something to bite in the old times when people were very poor, had nothing. And rabbits had, you know, were very good uh, calorie suppliers as, you know, they multiply very easily. They're easy to, to have at home and they are a good source of uh, proteins. And so it, they were much easier to have than the pork. So basically, poor people, what they did, instead of having pork, they say, okay, let's yeah, let's have rabbits. And over the centuries, they perfectionated the recipe and, and today's a very uh, delicious kind of dish to eat in the, actually in the most traditional kind of restaurants. You don't find it everywhere. And it's more like in, in inland uh, rather than by the coast. And um, there are many other different uh, kind of special dishes that you don't find anywhere else. In, in also, uh, talking about the sweets, you know, we have 
Uh, in Easter, we make this uh, cheesecake, which is very particular. People go crazy when they taste it. What's that called? Um, pizza di formaggio. It's made in Easter. Uh, for example, uh, during Carnival in February, we do the cicerchiata, which is a sweet um, made with flour and honey. And uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different kind of dishes that you don't have anywhere else. Something that is similar to other dishes in Italy is, uh, of course, the famous vinches grassi, which is a lasagna made a little different. You know, lasagna is made with the ragusos with one kind of meat only. In here, they put, as you know, also in this case comes from the scarcity of the old times, they made the sauce with all different kinds of meat, anything, like even the parts which you would never eat of the of the pork or of, of the chicken. So they just mix everything together and make a very, very tasty sauce. And they don't put as much cheese as they put in the uh, lasagna and they make this thick kind of uh, lasagna very tasty and very crunchy it's a, a wonderful dish one of my favorites actually i guess every family would have their own recipe for vinci's grassi oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah and at the same time every family thinks it's the best of course <laughs> as i do you know uh, but uh, yeah well that's a very there's various kind of foods and it's um the complexity of the of the area is kind of interesting. You know, the fact that you have the Castelli di Jesi, for example, it's a very small area, uh, but each each castle, each town had its own culture and it, and it was like a state of itself. So uh, different recipes and different people, different towns, different wines and lots of complexity. I think that's the great attraction of visiting an area like Le Marque, where you have, it's not just a difference between the sea and the mountains, but you also have ranging from the north to the south, and that's reflected in the cuisine too, because we're up nearly at, we're up by Emilia-Romagna and moving down towards Abruzzo, right to the border of Abruzzo. So it's quite a long region. It's long and large because you can go, you know, if you're, you can go sailing in the summer, you can go skiing in the winter. So, And in the middle, you have the hills where you can just relax in your villa by the pool with a forbidden glass in your hands. Well, you've really painted a wonderful and vivid picture of Le Marche for our listeners and also of the wines of Terre Cortese Moncaro, which uh, I'm really looking forward to sampling. Um, I think you've made us all want to get on a plane and travel to Le Marche tomorrow. You're definitely almost welcome. Uh, we do have a restaurant here by uh, the winery as well, where we make, uh, where you know the, the managers make very great uh, fish dishes. And we on in a wonderful landscape where you can see all the hills towards this, uh, until the sea there, until the Adriatic Sea. So it's it's a great place. The restaurant is called Erard, E-R-A-R-D. Okay, okay. Well, that's wonderful to know because I think uh, for me, the best way to really experience wines when I'm visiting wineries is to be able to sample them along with the local food. So that's a great opportunity for anybody visiting. Yeah. It is. It's it's uh, uh, it's a wonderful place to be, and uh, I really invite you, everybody, to to come and visit. Well, Luigi, thank you so much for sharing sharing your region, sharing your wines with us. It's been a great pleasure meeting you, great pleasure talking to you, and I hope to see you soon. Grazie. Grazie a voi. Grazie. Alla prossima. Alla prossima. Grazie.
Ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitaly Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitalyinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi, guys. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.